Welcome to Ira's Everything Bagel, where I talk with intriguing people about everything, their passions, pursuits, and points of view. My yearly passion in February and March, which I suspect is shared with people all over the world, is avoiding pollen, specifically mulberry pollen. And part of that process is checking in with my guest, Asma Tahir. She's supervisor for the Pollen Monitoring Program at the University of Nevada, Las Vegas, in collaboration with the Clark County School District. As a certified National Allergy Bureau's pollen and mold counter, she monitors, collects, counts, and identifies pollen and mold around the Las Vegas Valley. And her research focuses on pollen and mold allergens and the effect of changing environment and weather patterns. So for more information, go to unlv.edu slash public health slash pollen. And Ozma, welcome to the show. Well, thank you so much, Ara. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. I, I wanted to have you on because although you are located in Las Vegas, the work you do has implications on a much broader and wider scale. For our listeners and viewers, tell us a little bit about the work of the pollen program, and then we'll get into more specific stuff as well. So this program initially, back in the days, like before 2014, was actually conducted by air quality. And then Clark County had no budget. And in 2009, they cut it off. And then in 2013, MOU was established with school districts. So how it works is this. This is a grant. We get the money from Clark County School District as a grant, and it's renewed yearly. So it's not a five-year grant. Every November or sometimes in September, we get to know if we have this grant going on or not. And how CCSD gets the money is from air quality. And air quality gets this money from finding people who are going against the air quality rules and regulations, like from emissions and, you know, all of those things. And they give it to school district to use for education, for STEM and many other purposes. So, yes, school district uses it. And we are only a very small portion of that monies uh, that we get. And then we run this program. So since 2014, this program has been going on. But initially, it was only... UNLV as a certified site. And by a certified site, I mean National Allergy Bureau certified site. And we are only required to report only one site of pollen and mold counts. And then National Allergy Bureau has a individual link. And then you can find whatever is going around the UNLV area, the older area, and then we put it up there. What makes this program unique is this, that along with air quality, now we have established five other sites besides UNLV. Four of them are in the valley, two in the southeast, one close to 95 and Ann Road. If people are not aware, that's the north of Las Vegas. And then the Summerlin West area, we have one there and one literally in the desert in G. But those are not, those counts are not required to be reported, but we do put them up on our designated website. So people living in those areas would know that what's going on with regards to pollen or maybe mold if they're interested in that. So that's how the program is. I am the pollen lab supervisor. The program in charge are, is Dr. Mark Butner. And then the co-PI is Dr. Dennis Bislinski. He is now retired, but still with the program. And then we also have a retired allergist, Dr. Yoram Segev, who is also a member of Code AI, which is, I think, American Academy of Allergy and Immunology where we present posters every year. He is a paid member and he actually is a very beneficial reference for us being a physician. 
So that's about the program. I, on a very good day, on a very good month or of any you, a very good year, besides myself, there are two more people in the lab, one graduate student and one undergrad student. The job of the undergrad student is usually to collect. And the undergrad student is also a certified pollen counter besides myself who helps with the collection as well as the pollen count. So that's in a nutshell is the program. Are there similar programs to yours around the country? There are similar. And if you go to the NAP website, you will see that there are what they call the NAP certified sites. NAB so is National NAP- Allergy Bureau. Exactly. National Allergy Bureau Certified Site. And by certified, I mean that individuals like myself would have to take an on-site or online during COVID course. Uh, we, it's usually held in New Orleans. You go there for three full days. You take that course. And after that course, you take separate test for pollen counts and a separate test for mold count. And once you pass that with an 80% minimum, then you become a certified pollen and mold counter for the next three years. And then the recertification is again an online test. That's what it means. They also have to have a station head who has to be a member of National Allergy Bureau. And for us, that is Dr. Yoram Sek. Have you ever had an occasion, I'm sure it must happen over the years, where you had your students go out to collect the samples and they find out that they're very allergic to what they're collecting? That's a very interesting question. When we go out to present to school, you know, school district, we go out every year to their during their career week, and we just did that last week and to an elementary school or STEM week. People asked these questions and they said, You go out, you must be allergic to it. So I explained the process to them that you have to be allergic innately or genetically to a certain, you know, pollen to be affected by it. And how I collect it, it's not like I'm out in and about and I'm sniffing it and that's how I collect. I don't collect like that. So there's a slide, which is greased. There is a sampler where there's a slit open in it. It's a volumetric sampler. And then through that orifice, air goes in, doesn't come out. And then there is impaction. And when I bring it back, then I put a cover slip on it, stain it so that I can identify the different ones. If I'm allergic to a different kind of pollen, I would be allergic if I step out and it's in my neighborhood, not just when I'm going out to collect because it's high where the sampler is at least, you know, six to eight feet. It has to be high, sometimes more, uh, depending on what type of a shed it is. So it depends if I'm allergic to it or not, or the individual is allergic to ash or mulberry or not, not just because I'm collecting. Yeah, no, I'm glad you explained the process because... I think people do think that you're just going in and getting a teaspoon of this stuff, <laughs> yes. and then all yeah. of a sudden you're reacting to it. Now, of course, some people know that I consider myself the canary in the coal mine because I seem to be affected <laughs> immediately before your sensors pick it up, mulberry in Las Vegas. And I can tell very strongly because some people get affected in it in certain ways, such as runny nose or eyes that are irritated, and mine is much more systemic, and I can nail the day and the time when it happens, but all of a sudden, I just feel totally weak and can't figure out what's happening. And so I can't vouch objectively for it because I know you and I have talked over the years, your sensors haven't picked it up yet, but there must be something as a precursor to the mulberry. And it could be some other allergy similar or some other allergen similar to or pollen similar to mulberry, pine or some other ones that are out there. 
but I just know that mulberry is, is the one for me. Do you find that it's unusual from year to year, the numbers that show up, not just in mulberry, but in pollen in general? And do you have any suggestions for people who do get affected by various pollens? And it could be olive and it could be whatever. Exactly. So like I said, this program has been going on 2014 onwards. So I can only talk about the last few years. And I've been with this program since 2016. So what I have noticed, and we uh, have talked about this in the lab, and of course, I have data to vouch for it. It's not like I'm just giving my opinion. Whenever Las Vegas goes through a spell of cold, which persists more than usual, and by usual meaning that it is staying during February as well, which happened this time as well, which was unusually cold for Las Vegas. Some pollen or spring is pushed back a little if there is a spring here. And spring is a very short period of time in Las Vegas because very soon we hit to high 80s and 90s. And when it hits high 80s and 90s, tree pollen disintegrates. Here I will also like to tell people that once they say, oh, tree pollen disintegrates, the problem is gone. Las Vegas is unique. We have another season coming up in fall, and that is ragweed season. Right. We are in the desert. So that happens too. When you talked about precursor, so what we noticed this time that when we look at last week's, uh, last year's Excel and look at Mulberry's number, the first Mulberry in very small number, and I'm not saying in hundreds, like three or four count, uh, that day showed up on March 4th of last year. And then the high, which is the thousands, the very high thousands, was 314. And today is 315. <laughs> so it's not very unusual that what happened with Mulberry, the only thing was we were waiting for the sun to come out right after the rain. Because what happens with the rain for tree pollen, that if it is the perfect time to bloom, like around February, March, it's the perfect time for that particular tree to bloom. And it rains at that very moment and it's high rain, it brings down the pollen to the ground. And it doesn't bloom that much unless it's fully bloomed and it's about to pollinate and the wind takes it somewhere where it's sunny. Because Las Vegas has become a windy city as well. I've been here 28 years and oh my God, it has changed so much. So that is another thing. The other thing for the last few days, we were bracing ourselves when we were talking to you as well and some other individuals who call us, where is Mulberry? Is it coming? Is it coming? We couldn't see it because it just wasn't there. But we expected it this week, and that's what happened on Monday. We counted in thousands. Another thing with mulberry is very unique. It doesn't build up slowly. Like, it's like three today, 10 tomorrow, 300. No. it's <laughs> If it's 10 today, it will be 3,000 tomorrow. Right. <laughs> there is no telling because there's so many trees of mulberry. They all bloom at the same time. They need everything perfect for them, and that happens. So as soon as the sun came out a few days back, and you might have noticed, we knew it. We went to Star Nursery on Saturday. It was all full. People thought spring is here. And yes, and that's what happened. And I counted Monday 3,000, yesterday 4,000, today is 7,000. But the good thing about mulberry is that it stays maximum of 14 days of very high, and then it starts tapering off. But I have another bad news, and it is followed by another allergy offender, which is olive. Olive, right. Then by May, when we hit the, you know, the 80s and the 90s, then olive also goes away. What happened unusual this year is not mulberry. Mulberry is following the same pattern for now. Maybe it stays two weeks. That would be unusual. What is what is unusual this happened that has happened is ash. Ash begins blooming around January. It did, but in very low numbers. 
Then very soon it goes to medium, it high, it follows a certain trend, a certain pattern on a graph. Mm-hmm. It's not like mulberry, that like it goes from here to here. No, right. it follows. It didn't happen. So what happened But last week was the high for ash. So imagine mulberry is coming in with a bang. And then on top of that is ash. And I've been told by Dr. Sager that ash mimics because it's from the olive family. All the symptoms that someone would have if they are allergic to olive. So people don't think much of ash or not many people talk about ash. Ash is a very potent allergen as well. So right now we have teal and then we will have pine, we will have cedar, (laughs) bad time, uh, but that's going to happen. But eventually it will go away because we live in Vegas. We don't have a long period of spring. That's in a nutshell. And when you say what people should do, just keep an eye on it, on your symptoms. You know your body. I can tell you the numbers, but maybe it's not affecting you that day with that number. You Maybe for your body, Ira, it takes a certain amount of number to affect. For me, maybe it's a certain amount of number or it's a combination of two and that's how it affects. So someone asked an interview in an interview, Dr. Segev, uh, the MD doctor, that what can you change about it? And he says, uh, your genes, and that spells <laughs> P-E-N-E-S, not the other genes. So it was funny, but you cannot change that. So if well, it's you, Actually, though, Oswald, you can change both. Because they tell you to change clothes and wash them. Yeah, exactly. Very good point. Very good point. Because if you would have asked me what else to do physically, I would have said all of those things. But yes, just be aware of your own symptoms and don't wait just for the numbers for us. Yes, it's a reference point for you, but we want you to be healthy. Please reach out to your physician as soon as possible. No, that's, that's a great idea and a great suggestion. And the numbers that you reference and the days that you reference, that'll be slightly off because when this program airs, it'll be a, a week or so in the future. So just so people know what, when you're referring to something, it's while we're talking, but it's in the past in okay. that sense. What you talked about looking at pollen, how do you rate it? Because I know when you look at some of the national pollen statistics, they have ratings from low, medium, high, and some in between. Is that the way most centers do it now? It's it's not by a percentage, but it is by low, medium, high, or low, medium. Then um, Yes. So again, I will ref, um, back to National Allergy Bureau because we actually are certified by them. So they give us the scale. So I'm not sure how pollen.com would be doing, but if you see the numbers from Las Vegas on weather.com, because we report to them, they are following that scale that we are providing it to them. So the way National Allergy Bureau gives it to us, that what the numbers that you are seeing is the concentration. It's not the count, like the physical one, two, three count, because there's a certain formula to convert it because they need, they figured it out that there's a certain formula at this potency, this is considered an allergy problem. So that's what they figured it out. And that scale is given to us on that scale. It is absent, A for absent, and then low, medium, high, and VH is very high. I also got calls from the local TV channels and their meteorologists and the weather person. And they call me and they say, oh, I see that grass is high today. That means mulberry pollen is going to be high too. No, no, no. Two very different things, two very different scales. So because grass takes maybe this much to be an allergen, And, you know, tree is a combination of many things for an allergen. So that's why. It doesn't mean that if this is high, pretty soon that's going to be high too. Every species of plant has a different uh, time of blooming and a different way of affecting human body. 
So that's the scale we follow. And it is also available on all the National Allergy Bureau website that you can see that scale as well. Great. What are the trends that you see in pollen reporting? Are there any changes in reporting methods, but also in just pollen trends themselves? So I guess it's a two-part question. Do you start to change some of your methodology over the years? And two, I know it's kind of, I should have asked it separately, but I have pollen in my brain, so I'll ask it together. And then also, in terms of trends in pollen generally across the nation, et cetera. Your first question is about the methodology. So the methodology of collection hasn't changed for us. It's the same. The sampler, I've heard that there are, it's, a, it's a called a Burkhardt sampler, and it's after a family's name, and it comes from England. So we've heard things that maybe it might be sold, and we might have to go to another version of collection. There are other apparatus called a rotor rod, but a rotor rod is not efficient for mold particles because it's very good for uh, collecting pollen. And many doctor offices around the country, I know, use that. It is cost efficient and all that. Imagine Burkhardt coming from England, so how expensive that is. They have the monopoly. It's very efficient. So that has not changed yet. We are still using Burkhardt. The reporting as well for for the NAP certified side, you are required to report every day, of course, except for the weekends. So we change it to a three-day head. It's called a head. And that's why we are delayed on the weekend because no one is here to collect. Right. Uh, and then, of course, because ours is a grant, I don't know how other programs are doing it. Ours is a grant, so we are limited with the logistics, the trucks, the people who are collecting it. So for UNLV, it's collected every day. We report it every day. However, the other five sites that I mentioned earlier, we collect them on a weekly basis again because we cannot collect every day. We don't have the manpower to do so. So on Tuesdays is Southeast, Wednesdays is the desert, and Thursday is the North and the West. That's how we collect, and it's seven days, and that's how it's reported after the count. As for other uh, cities around the country, some cities are actually blessed that they have more than one station. Las Vegas, there's only one station that is reporting. I wish there was more or maybe more samplers because it's a big city now and we don't have this sampler in other zip codes. Like we have nothing in the Southwest area. There's nothing there. Henderson, there's nothing there. So it could be just an aggregate knowing of how you do it. As for the trends, Yes, the 2017, I don't know what happened in 2017. The numbers were as high as 16,000 of mulberry in one particular day, concentration-wise. We have not seen that since then. So I don't know maybe what happened that year, maybe too much rain that happened, and the rain was stored the year before, and the tree bloomed full bloom. So yes, year to year, a little bit of the trend changes, but during that two months. Nothing out of the ordinary, like, oh, mulberry bloomed in May or mulberry bloomed in January. That has not happened. I have a theory that one spike in mulberry was all these people moving to Las Vegas brought mulberry with them in that way. That is another thing, because as you are aware, we did have a county ban in 91 of planting and selling certain varieties of mulberry and certain varieties of olive. So yes, the nurseries, I'm not saying that they are doing something wrong going around it. But they know that this one is banned and this one is not. Mm -hmm. So they're selling it. And yet, like you said, they bring it. And then there is no regulation to cut the trees that are already there. So it's 
in, in the 1960s and 70s, these two uh, trees specifically were brought in for growth and, of course, for shade. So unfortunately, in the older areas of Las Vegas, where now UNLV is considered an UNLV area is also considered an older area, was built in the 60s, you can imagine, you have you will see a lot of mulberry and olive trees. And they have not been cut any schools as well. So imagine those young children mm -hmm. going through allergy issues. And when we are speaking, they will tell, yes, this morning I've been sneezing. And you yeah. go around in, in their, you know, playing area, you will see ash, you will see mulberry, you will see all of that. So I don't know if it is a very conflicted proposition to propose to the county. And we spoke to a certain city planner and he says that is, again, a lot of money again because of the amount of number of trees to cut and haul them away. And then, I don't know, that has not happened. So trees are around. I could see it rising to a public health issue as it continues to grow. So yeah, that, that's something to consider from a civic point of view and a political point of view. Do you start to get inquiries from other parts of the country or the world because of the program there at UNLV? For the world, we usually get a lot of inquiry when we're presenting at the Quad AI meeting, uh, conference every year. We presented the last week of February in San Antonio. So many, many individuals and researchers come and stop and then they discuss what is happening in their neck of the wood, Canada, up north. Yes, we get a lot of inquiries. And of course, the main thing that we want to collaborate is the data. We don't share data. We say we are all, unless and unless it's a manuscript, you know, it's a, we right. don't do that. But yes, over here, we do get a lot of phone calls. And right before spring hits, Mulberry, we get a lot of phone calls. So you're not the only one who's calling, but you are right on dot. When I see your name on that phone and I tell them, uh-oh, I realized calling. That means Mulberry has arrived and we have not counted for today or is about to come. But yes, we do get a lot of inquiries, and especially people who want to move to the city. And they know which zip code they are moving. And if they are allergic and their loved ones are allergic to certain plants, then they call us. And they wanted to, can you give us the names, please, that what's going on. And that's why we need more samplers. We need more stations. Right. To, I mean, service the public because this is a very important topic. Yes. I think that's great that people who are considering moving here, especially with the kids who have allergies, that they have enough sense to call you or find out about you and see, exactly. see where that area is. Do you see as a result of this and as more and more attention goes to pollen reporting that you will get more stations around the Las Vegas Valley? And But it may be several more years before that happens, I guess. Because again, yes, it, comes down mean, to the, it comes down to the funding, doesn't it? It comes out of the funding and the funding is extremely limited. We cannot add more students to it because of that budget constraint. And the budget is so efficiently actually taken care of that so far we have managed, we have just managed because if the sampler fails, the sampler is thousands of dollars. The first day I'm hiring student, if they ask me what not to do, and we are up on the roof at the UNLV building, and I say, do not drop this head. This head costs $1,500. <laughs> so they're like, mm. so the pressure is there for them. Like, okay. So I'm like, do not drop it because yeah, everything costs money. It's coming from England. It takes more time. You have to create, you know, the PO, the purchase order, and then imagine coming FedEx and all that. So I wish that happens. It has not happened as, as since I've been here. So well, I'm, oh, well, I'm optimistic, but... Well, well, here's a thought then. Are you set up so that if somebody wanted to donate one of those machines to you, 
they can. Maybe, yes. Yes, that could happen. Yes. Okay. Um, and yes, Dr. Mark Butner would be the best person to reach out for that particular proposal. Yes. But we are very limited on this budget. And then there right. are so many entities in, in between. Like it's not coming straight to us. It's coming from school districts. School districts getting to air quality. Air quality is governed by, you know, county. So, yes, uh, there's a lot of things going on. Yes. You mentioned earlier, for example, the people that were thinking of moving here with kids will call and get a sense of where the pollen is and isn't or less or more. Do you have other kinds of people that call you or who relies on the information besides me about the pollen? You mentioned the meteorologists from the local media call, the parents that are thinking of moving in. Are there other groups that you find interesting that, or individuals that call you for a particular reason why they want to have that information? Yes, researchers. So oh, okay. um, in the neighbor neighborhood, meaning Arizona, we do get calls from there because they want to compare or even local scientists, even from UNLV, who are comparing it from their method of collection. We have a certain professor over here who is using a machine uh, and it is a few feet away from our sampler. We collect it in person with human touch. He is doing AI technology and then he wants to compare that what happens. So, so far what has happened, and of course these things are just very, you know, early in stages of developing. He has noticed with his research that our counts are more higher for that particular day what the machine is counting. Because I think it, I think, and that's my opinion, it's the issue might be with the identification by the machine. What you are identifying with your naked eye, human eye, mm -hmm. under a microscope, maybe the machine for now is not as sophisticated. And down the road, yes, it seems like maybe we might be replaced with that. <laughs> so <laughs> yes, it could happen. But as long as the count is accurate and at least close to what we are doing, I would say, yes, go ahead, do that. So yes, a lot of researchers who want to compare their research a desert with a desert, or it does, or one, Las Vegas to, uh, no, uh, I mean, up north, uh, Reno, Carson City, what's happening? It's the same uh, state, but look at the fauna. It's completely different. So fir trees, cypress trees, all of those. So yes, we get a lot of calls from people about that, that they want to compare the data and they would like to have data. It seems that people are more aware of pollen. And so I think from that point of view, it benefits what you do in the sense that people are more interested in the subject and therefore the more interest you have, the more hopefully funding you get down the road because more and more people are interested. It's Definitely. And that's why when every time school district reaches out to us during their fair week or their STEM week, that is a priority for us, that we go out and there are different age groups of students, you ask them about allergies and they will say, yes, 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 because they know what an allergy is because they are sufferers or have someone in their household. They know how it happens, what it does to them and the teachers. They will tell them what's working for them. A HEPA filter is working an air purifier is working. They figured it out. It's the dog that's bringing it in every time you hear these things. So it is very important. And then, of course, when the news channels are coming in and imagine that the reach that they have, I mean, that I think it's really good, the education, the service, the awareness. So it's very important. And I really do hope that this grant keeps on continuing because I feel that we are doing important work for the community. I'm not doing it for myself. 
I'm doing for the community and I love doing it because I love to help and then provide that information to the community around me. It's public health. That's what we are doing. So I really do hope so. I really do hope so. Well, that's a great way to leave it. My guest has been Asma Tahir. She's supervisor for the Pollen Monitoring Program at the University of Nevada, Las Vegas, in collaboration with the Clark County School District. For more information, go to unlv.edu slash public health slash pollen. Asma, thanks for being on the show. Thank you so much, Ira. This is wonderful, and I really do appreciate this. And I hope you keep well in the wake of these allergies every year. I hope so. Thank you. I but appreciate keep it. calling us. Still reach out to us. <laughs> Absolutely. And join us every Thursday for a new schmear on Ira's Everything Bagel.